0: We saw the kids going out, and it seems like a long time ago that I had kids that I was sending out, you know. Uh, my kids are now out in a different way. They're grown and gone, but I remember as they were growing up, um, I had high expectations for them. Um, I had expectations of them for a couple of reasons. Number one, because they, quite frankly, they were the pastor's kids, and so you know, they, their lives were probably being looked at in a little bit different way than perhaps other kids. And so I always had that in the back of my mind, but I didn't want it to be something that was a burden for them. And so I tried to talk to them in a little bit different way about who they were in Christ and who they were as part of our family. Not just that they were pastor's kids, but that they were, they were raised by Christian parents in a Christian home, and that how they lived was not just a reflection on the church or on the pastor of the church but how they lived was a reflection of who they were in Christ and so I had these two little sentences that I would say to them when they were younger it's as they were going off to you know to church things or going off to spend the night with someone as they got a little bit older it's when they were going out with friends or when they were going out on dates And as they left for college, I even made sure I reminded them of this even then. And the two sentences were this. Remember who you are. Remember whose you are. Remember who you are. And remember whose you are. Remember that you go out representing not just yourself in isolation from the rest of the world, but that you're part of this long family. And what you do is a reflection on who we are. But even more, as they came to know Jesus Christ, they became part of God's family. And so their lives, their choices, their attitudes, they not only reflected on them and on our family, but reflected on Jesus and his church. And so that's an important thing. And it, it's not meant to be a guilt thing. It's just that reminder because knowing who you are affects how you make daily choices. And what we're going to read here in just a few minutes is the Apostle Paul is kind of doing the same thing with the church in Ephesus. He's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus. And he, he adds a little phrase that they are to walk worthy of their calling Which is kind of of like saying, remember who you are, remember whose you are. In the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, or the letter to the church in Ephesus, it's filled with sound theology. It's filled with gospel. It's talking about who we were and, and God's great love and how God's great love intersected with our sin and that God himself was willing to pay the price for our sin by sending His Son, Jesus Christ. We just sang that beautiful song, Our Sins Are Many, His Mercy Is More. And that could be the theme of the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, that God in His grace and mercy and love saved us and set us apart and called us to a new life. And as new believers in Jesus Christ, He reminds them to walk worthy of your calling or perhaps if I'd written it I'd have written to the church at Ephesus remember who you are remember whose you are and so today we're going to we're going to begin to take a look at not the first three chapters but what he begins to write in chapter 4 because what he's saying is because of everything that I've said here in chapter 3 and because of the truth that's in chapters 1, 2, and 3 about, about what Christ did for you and who you are in Christ Jesus, this then is how it ought to impact your life. This is what your life can look like. And believe me, Paul was not trying to put them on a guilt trip, okay? That was not Paul's intent was to put them on a guilt trip. What Paul and really what the New Testament does for us is it paints a picture of what could be of the possibilities that exist for someone who is in christ who is yielded to christ who is following christ and what that life could look like if we pursued it with all our hearts and so what i want to do today is to help open up the possibilities of what it could look like in this church and in this community If we walked worthy of our calling. And so what we're going to look, we got just three verses to look at this morning. Three verses in Ephesians chapter four. And we're going to take time to focus. Now, while you're looking that up, I need to go do something on my iPad because I didn't do this earlier. One of the problems with an iPad is unlike my Bible, which is open here in front of me. Eventually, this thing will time out if you don't tell it not to. And so uh, I am going to attempt to do that. Um, Play nice. There's a little feature on here that says, don't go anywhere. All right. If you are familiar with the New Testament, then you know, or the Bible, you know that uh, the book of Ephesians is in the New Testament. And if you are trying to find it right now, there are two ways that you can do it. You can either start at the Gospels and continue moving through Acts and Romans and 1st and 2nd Corinthians and Galatians until you get there. Or you can go to the table of contents and you can find out exactly what page it is. And let me tell you something. There is no shame in having to go to the table of contents to look up one of these, one of these books in the Bible. Especially if you're looking at the, at the minor prophets and I were to tell you to find Habakkuk. You know, don't, don't, hey, don't, don't feel embarrassed about that. Don't feel embarrassed about having... Tabs in your Bible, there are times that I have to actually stop and play it through in my head. Okay, this, this, this. Oh, okay, now I know where it is. And got to go through to try to find it. But we're going to be in Ephesians. And to make it easy for you, we're actually going to put the verses up on the screen. And you have it in your handout. And so we're all on the same page here. And the way I'd like to do it is I just kind of want to split this in half. And we'll begin here with verse one, which says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Paul wrote this letter to the church in Ephesus while he was under arrest. This is one of the prison letters that Paul wrote. He had been arrested, uh, not because he'd gone out and stolen something, not because he... Uh, was gone out and killed somebody he had been arrested because he was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ and he preached the gospel and he planted churches and he showed the power and the grace of God and the people didn't like it and so he was arrested for that he was he was locked up because of that and he he was a prisoner in Rome and he was a prisoner to Rome in other words he was he was arrested Uh, As as a Roman citizen, he was in prison in Rome. It was a Roman authority that had arrested him. But do you notice that's not what he says in his letter? Paul had a deeper view. Paul had a more accurate view. It says that I am a prisoner for the Lord. He recognized that the reason he was behind bars was not because he had broken Roman law. He was there for his commitment to the gospel of Jesus Christ that was unrelenting. He was unwilling to compromise that. And therefore, he was willing to go behind bars. And I found it was interesting. If you were to look at the Greek, the actual phrase is that he is a prisoner in the Lord. That's that's the actual phrase. I'm a prisoner in the Lord. And what he's saying here is that long before I was arrested, long before I was put in chains, long before I was held in captivity, my heart had already been arrested and captured by Jesus Christ. I'm a prisoner in the Lord. And unlike the, the kind of prisons that human beings might give us, it's not a place of darkness and misery. It's actually a place, place of light and freedom. Because I am in Christ. I'm willing to go where he goes and to do what he has called me to do. I'm willing to follow this calling he has on my life because I am in Christ, no matter what the cost might be. Paul was not the least bit embarrassed about if, if I had to if I had to call. You know, Jim Betzel came up here, the microphone, just a few minutes ago and and shared. He's our chairman of the elders. Um, If I had to pick up the phone and call Jim on Saturday night and say, Jim, I got to tell you, uh, I'm in jail. I need you to come down here. That'd be an embarrassing phone call for me to make. But Paul was not embarrassed. As a matter of fact, the early church father, Theodoret wrote of Paul, He glories in his chains more than a king in his crown. He glories in his chains because he was suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ. He was suffering because he was faithful to the call of God. Now, there's no glory in just suffering for suffering's sake. But when you suffer for the sake of Christ, you're following in the footsteps of Christ. There is glory in that. I regularly communicate with uh, a, a couple of people who are overseas, uh, a pastor in Kenya and Moses, the missionary who's there in India. I regularly communicate with them, uh, and I'm so grateful for the, the, the Internet for that reason because we're able to connect. And What I recognize is that they are paying a price to be faithful to Christ there in a way that we don't necessarily pay here. And to follow the calling that God has on their lives there, it's costing them something. It's a big, big cost in their lives. And sometimes I wonder if if the tables were turned and that kind of pressure were turned up here in the United States of America on the church of Jesus Christ, how would we respond? How would we respond? how would our walk of faith look if the screws began to be turned and the pressure was turned up on us here and and that's not a question we can ask and we may never be able to answer we can ask it but we can never really answer that question because those are not our circumstances but paul was committed to living out his faith and and we are we we're called to be just as committed and, and when we do that, it may not lead us to the Green County Jail, okay? But it might. I want to I tell you right now that there's some men and women in this church fellowship who, because of their calling in Christ, they do go to the Green County Jail. Now, not as, not as people who are arrested, not because they have to, they don't go in there in handcuffs. They voluntarily go. They give of their time and their energy and their heart to go each and every week to go into the Green County Jail to carry the good news of Jesus Christ and the hope that they have in Christ to share with people who for many times have lost all hope. That is where their walk leads them. It may not be where God's calling in your life. It may not be the walk that God has for you. But let me tell you something. Um, the, the, the term walk worthy, walk worthy, that walk is a picture. It's to represent our lifestyle, our life. So we're to live worthy. But the term walk is there Intentionally. Because it helps us to understand that the life of faith that we're called to live is a life on the move. When we follow Jesus, we are on the move. We are called to something. We're not simply called to come and to occupy a seat for an hour or so on Sunday morning. And this be the sum total of what it means to follow Jesus. We are called to follow him wherever that leads, and it's going to look different for all of us. I mean, we've got people who are faithful in leading Bible studies, but some of you go, that's, that's not my calling, that's not what God has placed on my heart. But God has given each of us gifts and talents and skills and experiences that are unique to us and fit our calling. I'm excited that in June we're going to go again to The Dominican Republic and we're going to work not where we typically have worked but we're going to go to a Haitian community one of the the poorest and and dirtiest places that I've ever been we're going to go back there and we're going to serve for a week among in that Haitian community and some of you go you know that's that's what God calls me to I'm signed up for that I'm I'm ready to go I'm excited I'm eager to go but not everybody's called to that And here's what I'm here to tell you this morning, is that's okay. God's got something for you. He has designed something for you. He has shaped you to fit with that. And when you find it, go for it with all your heart. Now, since the call to that worthy life doesn't look the same for all of us, does that mean there are no similarities? No. As a matter of fact, there are things that we take along with us along in this walk that Paul helps us understand it. In other words, he shows us what this life, this walk could look like. And, and this is exciting. I want you to look at that with me. So let's pick up then. He says, he says, the walk that you've been called, he goes on, with all humility and gentleness... With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. In other words, these are the characteristics of our life as we walk this journey following Jesus. These are things when people look into our lives, things that they should see in, that begin to grow in us. Because quite honestly, as you look at that little short list there, you're going to recognize, you know, there's some things on there that I could check that off and go, okay, I'm I'm not bad at that. And there there are other things you might look at that. And and let me just go ahead and say that for most of us, it might be that patience component right there, right? So let's take a look at these a little bit and, and see what Paul is trying to tell us. The Greek word for humility means lowly thinking. And when we read that initially, we go, well, I don't. I don't like that. Does that mean I'm supposed to think that I'm, you know, a worm, that I'm lower than dirt? What, what does that mean for me? It basically, this, this lowly thinking, this humility, is the opposite of thinking too highly of yourself, that, which is a problem for, for at least some of us. It's the opposite of pride or haughtiness. In other words, humility is not putting ourselves down. Humility really is a lifestyle that lifts others up. And, and I want you to remember, as we look at all these, these are not character traits that are kind of adrift. A you know, not attached to anything. When we look at these character traits, what we are seeing is a reflection of who our Lord and Savior Jesus was. In other words, uh, what we say in our vision statement at the last sentence is that we want to be a community of faith where we become more like Jesus daily in attitude and action. And that's what we're talking about. So when we talk about humility and when we talk about gentleness and we talk about patience and we're talking about bearing with one another and when we're talking about unity in the spirit and when we're talking about a bond of peace, we're looking at a reflection of Jesus and our lives are to reflect these same characteristics. So the church in Philippi, Paul wrote this, and this helps us to understand humility a little bit. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And you can go and read the rest of it maybe later this afternoon. But to have the mind of Jesus means that we don't do anything out of selfishness or conceit. But in humility, we think of others before we think of ourselves. That's humility. That's what we're called to do. It's not thinking we're as low as dirt. It's thinking more highly of others around us. The term gentleness describes a person who's not overly impressed with himself or herself. Gentleness is not into self-promotion. Now, I got to admit, there there are times when we want to do this. Confession time, Nancy. Nancy had two or three days that she was away this week. and So on Saturday morning, I knew she'd be coming back Saturday afternoon, Saturday morning, When I got up, I said, you know, I want want to do a few things. So when Nancy comes home, uh, it'll be a little better. So I got out the vacuum cleaner and I vacuumed things. And it's not, I didn't make a mess, but I vacuumed things up. Um, I didn't do any dusting, I admit, but I vacuumed. And, you know, I cleaned the countertops in the kitchen, kind of put some things away. And I went to the, I went to the bathroom. We have two sinks in our bathroom, one for, it's kind of a his and hers thing. And so I, I, I sprayed the mirrors. I wiped off the mirrors. I cleaned everything off the counter. And I wiped off the countertops and cleaned out the sink. And I did it on both sides. And I didn't tell her. And I don't know if she noticed or not. <laughs> I just told her. So I guess I kind of blew, uh, blew the gentleness part, right? But I so wanted to. You know what I mean? I so wanted to go... Well, hey, uh, did you notice anything? And that's just that's the tendency in us. It's that self promotion. I want I want to be noticed. I want I want people to see when I do good things. I, I want somebody to you know wave a banner and throw a parade for me because I've I've done something good. But Jesus never wanted that. In gentleness, He simply served other people and that's not weakness in fact ray steadman says that this term gentleness means strength under control it's that we willingly we willingly serve without trying to show off and without trying to impress And so along with humility and gentleness now, Paul urges us to exercise patience. Yeah, we finally got there. And and this term literally means long burning. Um, I remember uh, a number of years ago when I was a teenager living at home, somehow I, I found a firecracker. I don't remember where I found it. I don't know what the circumstances were, but I found a firecracker. And I was, uh, I was on the front porch. My dad was in the uh, chair on the front porch and I was out there and I had this firecracker. My dad smoked. And so he had a, a lighter. And so I went to my dad and I had the firecracker and I said, I, I want to light this. And he looked at it and he said, I wouldn't. And I'm going, well, what's wrong? He's will it not explode? He goes, well, it might. I, I don't know. He said, but look at the fuse. And the fuse was really short on that thing. And uh, I, I didn't listen to him. And so my dad thinking, oh, life lesson, he gives me his lighter. I light it and I throw it off the front porch and literally it doesn't get 18, 18 inches away from my hand before pow. My dad just kind of looked at me. And he was glad he didn't have to take me in an emergency room. That was a short fuse. Quick to go off. Patience means long burning. If you can imagine a long fuse. Plenty of time along the way to snuff it out before it explodes. Now, you can understand now why patience would have this picture with it, Right? Because you've been in Atlanta traffic. You know of which I speak. There is nothing that tries your patience more than Atlanta traffic. I, listen, if you're in the hospital in Atlanta and Jimmy Long shows up, you know I love you. You know, because I'm telling you, that is... To me, to have to go to Atlanta is just, it's a bummer for my week to know I got to, oh, I got to go to Atlanta. And, but you go through it and you need patience when you go through it. Absolutely. Patience doesn't come naturally to us. As a matter of fact, <laughs> we learn in Galatians that part of what the Holy Spirit is trying to produce in us is Patience. We're learning that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, <laughs> patience. In other words, patience, patience is a supernatural quality. It's not normal for us. It's, it's normal for us to have the short fuse. It's not normal for us to have a long fuse. And so we learn two things about patience. One of which we like, the other we don't like. The first is Patience is produced by the Holy Spirit, and you're here going, thank you, Lord, because I don't have it myself. It's produced by the Holy Spirit. That's the good news. Here's the bad news. It is refined in the opportunities to be impatient. Patience is refined in Atlanta traffic. Patience is refined when the doctor won't call you back. That's when time, that's when patience is is refined burning off the dross to to make it pure and so we need both of those we need the power of the spirit in us and we need the circumstances of life around us to produce this patience in abundance and part of growing in our patience is our ability to bear with one another bearing with one another That literally means just putting up with each other. And and we recognize it, at least on the surface, that we're all different and we all have different experiences and different expectations and different preferences. There's so many differences. But what we do when we bear with one another is we're willing to put up with that. We're willing to cut people some slack. Even if they don't disagree with us and even if even if our disagreements are away on the other end of the of the of the the, uh, uh, yeah, the thing on the other. Even if you're over here and I'm over here, the spectrum, that's it. We learn to bear with one another. To put up with one another. And we do that, Paul says, in love. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time here because over the last two weeks we've talked about it. If you want to, uh, 1 Corinthians 13, we've focused on that really for a couple of weeks. We've, we've talked about it. But the kind of love that we see in 1 Corinthians 13 is God's love to us, God's love in us, and it becomes God's love through us. When I am unable to love enough to bear with the other person, then I need love that comes from a source other than myself. And part of the fruit of the Spirit, what God's trying to produce in us, is love. So that we can be with people who are different than us. And I'm so grateful because within this very room, there are vast differences Differences in opinion, differences in experiences, differences in expectations, differences in preferences. I mean, we could do a survey, we could do a poll and ask, hey, what's, what's your favorite kind of music? Or what's your favorite kind of food? Or, or would you prefer to have a vacation in the mountains or at the, at the ocean? Would you, would you prefer your donuts from Krispy Kreme or that other place called Dunkin' Donuts? We have these differences in preferences and sometimes those are getting pretty deep. And I still have a Facebook account and there are days I want to quit it because I look on Facebook and I see all these people arguing and it gets downright mean and some people can't separate the difference between Jesus Christ and Donald Trump. I'm sorry. We've got to be willing to understand that my politics does not define who I am. My party affiliation is not who I am. My musical preference is not who I am. Even my donut preference is not who I am. I am a child of God by faith in Jesus Christ. I am your brother in Christ. That is who I am. And with that perspective, you and I can disagree on a lot of things. And because we love one another, we pursue exactly what he talks about right here at the end of this. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Not just willing to maintain the unity of spirit, but eager. I'm itching to do this. I'm first in line to do this. Now, you understand eagerness, some of you, men and women. We're not too far back from Black Friday, right? Right? Black Friday is that day after Thanksgiving when people go and they 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 shop in the wee hours of the morning to try to get the best deals possible and there are people who plan this weeks in advance. They don't wait for the ad to come out. They they know when they're coming out on the internet and they load these things down and they start making lists and and it's like some type of map and and, and outline done by the Pentagon. They know where they're going to be, when they're going to be, how they're going to approach it. You go this way, I'll go this way. We'll meet over here. You go stand in line at the register. And you know, they've got all this stuff worked out and they are eager and they're just itching and they don't mind. Listen, when the alarm clock goes off at seven o'clock or six o'clock on Sunday morning, they're, oh, oh," it's just terrible. But on Black Friday, thing goes off at three o'clock and boom! They're eager Paul says that's the kind of eagerness that we ought to have for unity in the life of the church. Our desire to be one in Christ should be so huge that we're first in line for it. We're willing to do what it takes to bring unity around Jesus Christ. And so there are many differences. But listen, if you believe that that we're called to bring glory to God, by bringing people into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ, then you and I are on the same team. We share the same mission. We're in this together. Let me share a little bit about unity and peace in the body here. Unity and peace in the body of Christ show the world the grace and the power of our Savior because we can come together in spite of our differences and in spite of our pasts, we show the world the grace and power of our Savior, that He overcomes all those differences. Unity and peace in the body of Christ draw people out of the world and into God's family because they see there's something different about these people. And when they see that difference, they're drawn to that difference. See how they love one another. Unity and peace in the body of Christ create a community of love, acceptance, and accountability where we can all grow to be more like Jesus. This this community Where we can come and not have to pretend to be somebody we're not. But we can literally come and be who we are. And find out that people love us anyway. And they'll help hold us accountable and they'll pray for us. And they'll be there for us in good times and bad. Community in the life of the church is is so huge. And, And sometimes we pull ourselves apart and we don't value it as we ought and when we don't value it as we ought we, we end up we lose something some of you listen I'm not, I'm not calling names I'm not pointing fingers but some of you have had times in your life where you have pulled away for one reason or another you pulled away from the life of the church you got out, out of the habit that's a phrase that we hear a lot of times when we're contacting people who haven't been here in a while well just got out of the habit But when we value the unity, when we value the peace, when we value the community, it changes things. It changes us. And we find something among the people of God that we can't find anywhere else. This week I got a text message. That's not unusual. I get... I get a thousand text messages every single week. But this text message really touched my heart. And i redacted a little bit, and I'm going to not use the name of the person because I don't want to bring any embarrassment or anything to them or draw them out. But I want to share with you the text message that was sent to me this week. text message said this I was just at a funeral and I know I've been baptized and saved but I wanted you to know that I rededicated my life to Christ I felt God talking to me and I just felt like I haven't fully given my life to him until now and I wanted to let you know and this member went on to say in a follow up text I am so thankful for my church family. Now, I get a lot of text messages during the week. Some are mundane, some are depressing, some are informative. But I read this, and I reread it, and I reread it. I said, this makes it all worth it. Because here you had the words of someone who had been for a time apart from the body of Christ. And over the course of the last few months has reconnected and recommitted in the body of Christ. And to send me a text message after the funeral to say, you as my pastor, I want you to know. That even though I had not fully given myself to Jesus before, I have now. And I want you to know. And then to go on and say how thankful that, this, that she was. And I'll say she. How thankful she was for her church family. And you sit out there and go, well, I, 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 didn't, I didn't know. I, I didn't do anything that I know of. How how did I contribute to that? The book of Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews says that when we come together, when we, we don't forsake it, we don't separate ourselves from the body of Christ, but when we come together as a body of Christ, we encourage one another. There's somebody sitting in here today who needs to know I don't have to do this alone. There are people who actually love me. And even if I pull back the veil and they saw the dirtiness of my life, they saw where I was was last week, the week before, they saw that. They'd still love me. And so, here's what we're going to do. I want to open up an opportunity for you. Some of you need the Jesus who died on the cross for you to give you new life in Him. And if you're willing today to turn from your sin and to turn to Christ, You will find God with his arms open wide for you. There's some of you here today who need a church home. A place, a people to belong to. And you know God's calling you here. And so I invite you to come. There's some who need a a small group and we could get you connected in that. There's some of you who go, okay, I'm ready to take that next step to serve. We'll do that. There's some of you saying, hey, I need to take that next step in baptism. We'll do that. Whatever we can do, we want to come alongside you to help you in this walk of faith as you follow Jesus. And so I want to pray for you. We're going to sing a song to give you an opportunity to respond and then following that, We want to let you hear the testimony of someone in the life of our church who is an elder candidate. And so let's do that right now. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. We come humbly as we know how. We come to accept your Son as our Savior and as our Lord. We come, Lord, to give ourselves to you without shame and without reservation and so lord if there's that man or that woman or that teenager today who needs jesus i pray that by your spirit you would draw that person to yourself lord if there's that person out here this morning who needs a church home a church family i pray that you would draw that person to yourself I pray, Lord, if there's that person who's ready to take that next step, to be baptized, to serve, to connect in a small group, whatever it is, Lord, would you, by your Spirit, draw that person to yourself? And Lord, if there are those who simply need to come and lay down a burden, by that same Spirit, Lord, draw them. We're ready to respond to wherever you lead. In Jesus' name we pray it. Amen.